Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Carrick. I teach busy mums who are trying to juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. I'll show you how to stop being frustrated and overwhelmed with healthy living and how to make it fun and easy. You're invited to sign up to my free New Me workshop. Change your mindset to healthy living in five days. Get to the bottom of those I can't do it thoughts and transform them into wow, it's so easy and fun. You can sign up at drorlina.com slash new me. That's doctor, D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new line in the middle, me. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. I hope you are feeling fit and fabulous. I certainly am, although it is a very cold and rainy day here in Spain, which thankfully we don't have very many cold and rainy days. Today we are talking cancer and specifically what we can do to reduce our risk of cancer. Now, I think when we talk about cancer, we have to be a little bit careful because we can never 100% remove, we can never say you can prevent cancer. But what we can do is lots of things to reduce our risk of getting cancer. And it is definitely worth knowing what you can do to reduce your risk. And we are chatting to a dear friend of mine called Dr. Vary Morris. She is a lecturer at Loughborough University in the UK. For those of you who are American, you might be tempted to call it Lugabaru, but actually it's pronounced Loughborough. And she is also the founder of Essential Cancer Education, which helps healthcare professionals help their patients live a fulfilling life with cancer and how to explain cancer to them. This is the first in a two-part series. This week, we are talking about how to reduce our risk of cancer with diet. And next week, we will be looking at lifestyle. So make sure you tune in next week as well. Right, let's dive in. Hello, I am super excited to welcome Dr. Vary today to talk about cancer and how we are going to avoid cancer through diet. Hello. Hello, hello. I have to say, before we start, my husband and I always have this joke about... um, who's the proper doctor. So I'm a medical doctor and my husband is a PhD doctor. And he says that people who have PhDs are proper doctors. So I congratulate you on being a proper, proper doctor and congratulate you that it was 10 years ago yesterday that you did your Viva, which I'm sure is no small feat. 
No, it was it was quite a, a nice moment actually because I did my first PhD viva where I examined somebody, and it was ten years to the day since mine. So it was really nice to sit on the other side of the table and think, oh, I don't need to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Congratulations! Congratulations! So let's dive right in because this is a really exciting and interesting topic and we have so much to talk about and we have to squash it into 20 minutes. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about various diets and we'll go through the yays, the nays and the juries out. And then we're going to have a look at things that we know are bad and then things that we're not really sure about. And then we're going to go to things that we know are good, which is the juicy good bit so can you start off by telling us which diets are the good diets that are going to help us prevent getting cancer? There are so many out there. And I, and even as an academic, I find it confusing to navigate my way through this world. But from the evidence, and this is what's published on the National Cancer Institute's website uh, and places like that, the ones that there is evidence to support that might be beneficial for people to prevent cancer and to prevent, prevent secondary disease are the ketogenic diet, which is about having a low-carbohydrate diet, the Mediterranean diet, which I know you're a strong proponent That's of. That's my diet. Your diet, <laughs> and now mine too, I would say. And then intermittent fasting, which I think is really interesting, actually, because there's a guy in the States called Walter Longo, and he's written a book called The Longevity Diet. I think his name is very befitting to what he does, Dr. Longo. Um, and he talks about doing this fasting-mimicking diet and intermittent fasting and how it can... Um, essentially be anti-cancer although he's not strictly allowed to call it an anti-cancer diet because the FDA won't approve that um, but it does promote longevity so he did a whole study that in is, people that in is, that is very interesting the other thing I want to say is you can combine the intermittent fasting with yes. other diets so let me just quickly explain briefly we won't go into big details but the ketogenic diet is where you have quite a high fat content Yes, And you basically switch from your carbohydrate metabolism to um, using your ketones and you essentially are in ketogenesis and you have to maintain yourself in ketogenesis. And it works. You know, I know people who love it. I always say that diet and nutrition is personal, partly because of how our bodies work, but also how we enjoy things. And I personally don't think I would enjoy the ketogenic diet. The Mediterranean. No, I, don't I, <laughs> I don't think I would either. Yeah, I think we really have to be aware of what we like and we don't like because, you know, there's no point in going, oh, the ketogenic diet is the best diet out there and absolutely not liking any of the food on it or that way of eating. So the Mediterranean style diet, and I did the first long episode that I did on the podcast is all about the Mediterranean style diet. So go and check that out. But essentially, it, what I think of it is as healthy tweaks to your current diet and it essentially is about reducing starchy refined starches so pasta and flour and things like that and looking for alternatives and using things like olive oil and nuts and seeds just a quick note about intermittent fasting there are two ways that you can do the intermittent fasting you can have a long period of time where you're going to be fasting and really reduce your calories so do that over a day or two days typically you see this on the 5-2 diet that's right. Or you can just do it, let your gut rest for a period of time. Yeah. And typically that's like 12 to 14 hours. And so you can actually do it overnight yeah. if you don't eat after seven o'clock at night and then have your breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning. You've actually given your gut a rest yeah. and done a little bit of fasting. Yeah. And in fact, there is evidence to suggest that women who don't do that have a higher risk of getting breast cancer. So if you eat after eight o'clock at night, you increase your risk. 
of and breast so, cancer. Okay, so on a practical level, is that every day or a few times a week? Well, I haven't looked into the nuances of that, I would imagine. <laughs> we would want imagine. to know what we are going to do, what's the best for us. <laughs> I would I would imagine if you live like that 90% of the time, then, you know, you're, you're reducing your risk. But... The, the more that you eat in the evenings and you don't give your body that t- chance to rest and to fast, then the, the higher your risk of developing certain cancers is. Do you have anything else to say about those three diets? Uh, not just other than the fact that since I met you, I've started embarking myself on the Mediterranean diet. And it's been remarkable the difference it's made to my energy levels. So regardless of whether it's protecting me from cancer or not I'm sticking with it because it's making me feel lots better hooray hooray I'm really super glad to hear that and I battle with myself over this label of the Mediterranean style diet but the reason I like the Mediterranean style diet is it's a really easy framework to use and actually it's backed by research um and I go into the research more in in that other podcast it's just tweaks I always say that healthy living is a marathon rather than a sprint. It shows you how you can make tweaks a little bit at a time. You can start reducing this. And once you've reduced this, then you can move on to something else. And it's not like suddenly you have to throw out everything that you're used to and start from scratch, which if you're very motivated to do, you can do it. But the majority of us aren't motivated to reinvent ourselves. And it's hard to stick to that when the going gets tough and you want to slip back into your old habits whereas by just reintroducing small changes it's much easier to to maintain okay fabulous let's move on to the nays now i have to say i have never heard of these diets so tell us about these diets that i've never heard of so the, the first is the gerson therapy and it was established in the 1930s so it's quite old by a guy called max gerson and his daughter or granddaughter i think is still a proponent of it and there are various centres around the world that you can go in and take this Gerson therapy. Essentially, it's the emphasis is on eating lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, raw juicing and things like that, and having coffee enemas um, and taking various supplements alongside it too. But the, according to the National Cancer Institute, the evidence just is not there to support it in terms of an anti-cancer diet. So I know there are many proponents of it. But according to the National Cancer Institute, uh, the evidence just doesn't stack up. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay, and the alkaline diet. So the alkaline diet is, the theory behind this is that if you eat alkaline foods, because cancers like that acidic environment, then you are effectively um, preventing the cancer cells from being able to grow because you're keeping them in this alkaline environment. But again, the evidence just isn't there. And there are lots of um, people who say, just because you're eating an alkaline diet, that does not necessarily impact on the the alkalinity or acidity of your tumor microenvironment. It's very different um, from eating alkaline foods and how that will then impact on your your blood alkalinity. Well, yes, because your stomach is still going to create acid whether you eat alkaline or not. So, yeah, yeah, okay. So again, the evidence just isn't there to back it up. Okay, and jury's out on. The Gonzalez regime, which is very, very similar to Gerson, and that is lots of juicing, lots of um, supplements. In fact, you could take something like 130 supplements a day and then pancreatic enzymes. There's a little bit more evidence for it, but it's still not um, entirely clear whether it's it's um, beneficial. So I, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> and the second one? So there's a macrobiotic diet, which was started in Japan, and it's about eating lots and lots of whole grains. 
and then fresh fruits and vegetables. There's no dairy, there's no red meat, there's in fact there's no meat at all. Um, but yeah, it's all about having lots of whole grains. But then, like I said, it started in Japan. There are obviously genetic differences between different cultures and different parts of the world. And naturally, they have different dietary differences. So it might be that they're more, uh, shall we say, adapted to eating that kind of diet. So whether there is any evidence for it to support other people in other cultures taking this diet, that's that's where the jury's out here. Okay. And another thing I would like to say about diets is mm. it, it can be difficult when you clump a way of eating together to tease out exactly what components of that diet yeah. Ha- what, what effects that have on your body. So when, when you hear, when you're talking about these nays and saying, you know, it's juicing and fresh fruit and vegetables, you know, it sounds like a component of them is healthy and that, yeah. but it hasn't got the whole picture. And even my beloved Mediterranean diet, if we look yeah. at the evidence there, they say that alcohol is included in that Mediterranean style diet. And we will come on and talk about alcohol in a mm. bit. But, you know, I have my reservations about this. Yeah. On an, on another level, I think, well, life is for living. And if you enjoy a little bit of alcohol, that's another, you know, question if you have a, a good reason for doing it. But to say alcohol is good for you, um, as I say, I have my reservations. Just to recap, we're saying yes to the ketogenic diet, yes to the Mediterranean diet, and yes Absolutely. to intermittent fasting. Yep. We're saying definitely no to Gerson therapy, thankfully, because those coffee enemas do not sound like something I would enjoy. No, I don't love coffee, but I prefer it in my mouth. <laughs> no. We're saying nay to the alkaline diet and juries out to the Gonzalez regime and the macrobiotic regime. Yeah. So this is all interesting, but what we really want to know is what things we should eat and what things we shouldn't yeah. eat. Can we start by looking at those things that we know have a link to cancer? Yeah. So the first and foremost, the big thing for me is red and processed meats. Um, I mean, the, the, the evidence stacked up against it. If you eat 100 grams, which is really not a lot of red meat each day, you're increasing your risk of bowel cancer by something like 17 percent. And then it's even more so for processed meats. So that's things like cured bacon and ham and things like that. Can I just um, clarify as well? When we talk about processed meat, mm. it is any kind of processed meat whether it is white meat i think people get confused with this white meat or red meat so processed like slices of turkey which is technically white meat is clumped here in that processed meat i hadn't made that connection but thank you yes (laughs) yes if you eat as little as 50 grams of processed meat you get the same sort of increased risk in in bowel cancer it's like 18 percent increase and do you do we know why that is yeah um so there's lots of reasons but particularly with the processed meats um the chemicals that are involved in that curing and processing process um, can increase, can stimulate your gut bacteria to to, to convert them into uh, carcinogens. And it's to do with contact time as well as it moves through the bowel. And um, with red meat, you've got the heme protein that's in there, which is what gives it its red colour. It's what gives us our, our blood red colour. Um, and it, it can interact and cause the gut bacteria to convert them into carcinogens. You're yeah. saying no more than 50 grams of processed meat a day and yeah. no more than or like it's either or it's not both. Either or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, 100 or 100 grams of red fresh meat. meat. Which is really not a lot <laughs> if you weigh out 50 grams of I don't know packet ham for your sandwiches it soon adds up well one thing that I would advise people to use is to use a little bit of meat 
as a flavor enhancer. So for example, I will put lardons into um, a meal and you buy a small packet of lardons and they're 120 grams and that's going through six of us. And, you know, we might even have leftovers. So that actually works out at less than 20 grams each. Um, But so that's a good way of just adding a little bit of flavor as opposed to having a lump of meat. Okay. And we talked about this, the meaty flavour before, didn't we? Uh, this umami flavour, you called it. And you yes. get it from mushrooms and things. And I've I've found whenever I make a vegetable chilli or something, if I put mushrooms in it, I don't feel like I've been deprived of that. Yeah, you find, so you find umami. Umami is one of these things that they think um, accounts for why people love ketchup so much. But you mm-hmm. get it in tomatoes and you get it in um, mushrooms, as you say. And it's that kind of meaty yumminess and if you're a meat eater you can find that in other places you can even get um mushroom ketchup which is just liquid mushrooms and add it it's fabulous stuff Mm -hmm. well on i know we're skipping ahead but on that note with tomatoes which contain lycopene even if you process it and it becomes ketchup that lycopene is still intact and still has its antioxidant properties so i find that good is tomato ketchup and everything (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll get on tomatoes in a minute. Um, So what other things are definitely on the nay, nay, nay list? Yeah, Yeah. so salt-preserved foods. Not only is salt as bad for us hearts, and sent me a link this morning to an article on the BBC News about um, processed meats still containing too high levels of salt, Um, but the salt-preserved foods actually can increase your risk of getting stomach cancer because it irritates the gut, causes inflammation, um, interacts with gut bacteria. So we are talking about my beloved olives. Yeah. So are we allowed to have any olives at all? I wouldn't say. I think everything in moderation. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I really really do because I wouldn't, if you were to cut all of this out of your diet, what would you eat? Yeah, no, totally. But um, I think if you can have some, if we know where that level is. So, you know, if you say, well, you can have two or three olives or you can have them once a month. Um, but if you're then also having, so we talked briefly about um, uh, what are they called? fermented foods and how this can repopulate your gut bacteria and sort of re- rebalance your gut flora, that's going to help counteract the effects of the inflammation that stimulates your other gut bacteria that are promoting cancer. Totally. So, yeah, it's let all, me, it's let all me just clarify what we were talking about. So this is a conversation we had online because I was like, oh, yeah, salts. Um, we haven't talked about the biome on the podcast yet, but we will do. But we mm. have this thing called a microbiome, which is super, it's basically all those bacteria and organisms in our gut. And we're beginning to realize how amazing they are and really beginning to understand about them and how certain foods really help populate us with helpful organisms rather than unhelpful organisms and that fermented foods such as sauerkraut are really good for this however I've just recently made my first batch of sauerkraut which you will be pleased to hear was a total success but it was made in brine and I think there are recipes that are made in vinegar um so you could change that but it's about well on one hand you're getting a benefit and on another hand you're getting something not so great so we're not going to overeat salt preserved foods no. What else is on our... Uh, we're not going to eat, or I, I avoid, any burnt or charred foods. So that's things like your char-grilled chicken and um, barbecued foods. Not that I'll never have barbecued foods, but I limit how much I have. Because um, when you burn food, the chemical structures in that, so they're called heterocyclic aromatic amines, 
rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? I am it? not going to try and, and say that. Polycyclic aromatic, aromatic hydrocarbons. But basically, these are carcinogenic compounds. So when right. you're eating burned foods, you're essentially ingesting carcinogens. Okay, that's very interesting to know. And, you know, I have heard that food needs to be cooked slowly. The longer and slower you cook it, or at the lower temperature that you cook it, the better. But, you know, the reality is when you're busy and trying to juggle 50 billion things, that often doesn't happen. And I'm definitely one for chucking up the... burning my Boiling my potatoes dry and <laughs> stick to the bottom of the pan. The yeah. other thing you can use instead of a barbecue that I love is a plancher. So um, an, a grid iron where you don't burn it as such, but you cook it. Sear you know, it. It's not, yeah, sear it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and last one. I can see what is on the list and my heart is, is crying. So tell us the last thing <laughs> on the list. It's alcohol. It's yeah. alcohol. Yeah. When we drink alcohol, it gets converted by our livers, uh, enzymes in our liver. And if you drink too much, so it gets, it's two steps of being broken down. And if you drink a little bit, your body's able to break it down at a good pace. But if you drink too much, then that first step in the process gets backed up and you have a buildup of these, this um, aldehyde. That can cause cancer. But also it increases your risk of various cancers of the mouth and the upper throat. And if you are a social smoker, it can increase the the uptake of the carcinogens in cigarette smoke. So if you're a person who goes out and has a few fags only on a night out when you're having drinks, you're actually making it worse for yourself and increasing your risk. And I think alcohol is one of these quite controversial areas. You know, I've read articles which say there is no safe limit of alcohol. So when you say too much, what are you talking about? Well, I think if you start to feel drunk, your body's struggling to process it. But, okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate now. There is also this, you know, people who drink more, they have more liver enzymes, so they're able to metabolize there and they're less likely to feel drunk. So, yeah, well, you're probably processing it because you're right. So when you drink, you increase the amount of this enzyme that breaks it down. So the next time you drink, you have a higher tolerance and so on and so on. So if you're a regular drinker, you can probably tolerate a lot more than somebody who, you know, only drinks at Christmas, say, um, but that, yes, you create more, but that should also signal alarm bells in your head that you're having to consume more to get that same effect. So, yes, you might not be struggling to break it down, but you're still having that contact with your mouth and your upper throat. Obviously, your liver has to break it down. And if you drink lots of alcohol, you're increasing your risk of liver cancer as well. So Yeah, I mean, I think... I think the problem with alcohol is it's a really slippery slope and it's very difficult. Most people find it very difficult to have a small glass of wine and stop. But when we go yep. back to the Mediterranean style diet and the PredMed, the PrediMed study, when they looked at what they were saying is people who were habitual drinkers who were having like one small glass of wine a day. And it's a small glass. And now when we go into bars, the glass sizes that we are giving <laughs> are not, they're buckets. Yeah. And you buy one. And it is a bucket load. And so I think, you know, it's really a small amount of alcohol. I also think that alcohol affects, all, well, I know alcohol affects all our body. I remember when I was a house officer, uh, for you, those of you who don't know what a house officer is, that's a junior doctor in England. They used to call us house plants. I worked for a gastroenterology team and I remember seeing the, the patients there who came in with liver disease. And I said to the consultant, isn't it strange how some people get liver disease or the the consequences of alcohol through drinking what seems not a huge amount Mm. and other people 
don't get it. And what he said to me is, no, it's the other way around. What is amazing is that actually a lot of us can tolerate this amount of alcohol and those other people are basically exhibiting a normal response, but that society has upped our levels of alcohol so, so much that we just don't realise how bad it is for us. Yeah. And I think that's really poignant. I mean, I love a glass of wine. You know I do. But it is poison, effectively. You yeah. wouldn't drink cyanide. <laughs> but yet we do pour alcohol down our throats because we like that social that social element and that feeling of being relaxed and and we have kind of glamorized it in society for sure and normalized it like if we look back to yeah. 100 years ago it was normal to be a heroin addict like you know you could get heroin <laughs> essentially and well opium um but yeah. that's that you know that's what it was it was the same thing it you know it may have been frowned upon by some people in the same way that some people frown upon alcohol now but it was a social norm and i think this is one of the problems that we see. We are getting sidetracked. So. We are, sorry. <laughs> Bottom line, alcohol is not good for you. If you do want to drink alcohol, I would recommend that red wine is the best mm. um, and just a really small amount. So let's move on to things that have been vilified or perhaps put on a pedestal like superfoods and really we're not sure which way to go. Yeah. So there's a lot of things in this category. Um, superfoods is a good example. There's Actually, superfood doesn't really mean anything. It's just a marketing term that companies have used to try and sell a product. And there were things like, um, I don't know, goji berries and blueberries and uh, green tea and things like that within those superfoods. I think the key message here is that it's not the superfood that's causing or protecting you from cancer, but there's like an extract in it. And you would, if you were to try and take as much superfoods as you need to get the amount, the active amount, in your body, you would be consuming rather a lot. So studies will have been done with an extract in a lab and it'll be a very high quantity compared to what you would get in an actual packet of goji berries, for example. So they're they're good for you, but they're not necessarily anti-cancer. Um, taken as part of a whole diet, that is an anti-cancer diet, then, then great, but it's not like you can outrun a bad diet and you can't outrun cancer or out-eat out cancer. Okay, so superfoods so. Mm-hmm. are not as... They're not the they're not super. No. They're not that super. Focus on having a super diet instead. Okay. Uh, what about, we've got tomatoes in there. So tell me about tomatoes. The tomatoes are really rich in something called lycopene, which is an antioxidant. Um, as I was mentioning earlier on, the nice thing about them is that even if you cook them or process them, even in ketchup, you still have active levels of lycopene in there. Well, are they going to help <laughs> us not get plenty. cancer? No, no, not necessarily. But they are rich in antioxidants. It's just not enough evidence to say. Okay. The studies haven't been done. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the other one I want to pick out this list, maybe not go through them all, but is artificial sweeteners, because I was quite concerned about the quantities of Pepsi Max and Diet Iron Brew that I was drinking, wasn't I? Not that long back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my mum kept saying to me, oh, she's read in the Daily Mail, uh, <laughs> that, that artificial sweeteners, they mummify you from the inside out and they're really bad for you and they're going to give you cancer. And when I looked into the evidence, they don't cause cancer. However... There is evidence to suggest that they are neurological uh, irritants and they cause other 
problems to link to higher levels of depression and things like that. So. Yeah, and also I think the uh, part of the problems with artificial sweeteners, or not part of them, but there's so many problems, is mm. that they always come hand in hand with not great food. So, you know, you're not going to get yes. an artificial sweetener and sprinkle it on your apple, are you? And so yeah. if you're eating foods that contain artificial sweeteners, it's not just that they contain artificial sweeteners. They're highly processed and they move away from this, you know, idea. I think this idea that what we eat is basically a living cell. Um, and I think people don't necessarily realize that but what we eat is a living cell and if you the more you move away from when it was alive by whatever process you do the less benefit you're going to get the less amazing nutrients you get from that that food what is an acrylamide? Tell oh, me acrylamide. Acrylamide is a compound that you get in things like biscuits and crisps and fries and chips um, and when you cook or roast or toast foods for a, a high temperature for a long time, they are converted into a cancer-causing um, compound. But we would have to eat loads to be able to cause ourselves to get cancer. So it's it's been classed as a p- possible carcinogen, but probably not in the quantities that we consume it in. But then, that said, if you're eating a diet that is rich in fresh fruit and vegetables and unprocessed foods, you're naturally going to be limiting your quantities of these anyway. A green tea. Green tea, so and again, some, similar with red wine, there is a compound in green tea that's also found in red wine. Uh, I can't remember how you pronounce it, but let's go for ECGC. I um, can't remember the full name. And it is supposedly anti-cancer, anti-dementia um, as well. But again, the studies have been done in that extract, taken out of the natural compound, put into a lab in a setting at a much higher quantity than normal. So it's not like we can say, great, if you drink drink green tea you're going to reduce your risk of cancer. I guess if you like green tea, carry on drinking it. Great. Yeah, definitely. I don't. It has any health benefits for sure. But yeah. Okay. What about milk and dairy? Oh, controversy there. The evidence suggests that there is no link between milk and dairy products causing or protecting it. There is some limited evidence that it might reduce your risk of prostate cancer for milk. Um, there are some evidence that the protein that's taken from milk called casein protein can increase your cancer risk. And incidentally, we are the only species that eats or drinks the milk of another species. No other animal does that. But there isn't there isn't the evidence. However, there's also the issues around the practices of dairy farming and things like, so for example, the amount of growth hormones and growth factors that we pump our dairy cows full of to be able to make more milk so that we can service our needs. Um, these are growth factors, they're growth hormones, right? So this might, yeah. might, yeah. we don't know, increase the, your risk. The other thing about dairy is that it is one of those things, I think, that has a different effect on different people. So they estimate that 50% of people are um, allergic to dairy. And if you're one of those people, then it's going to have a different effect on you than if you can tolerate it. So, you know, I see that milk and dairy products, you know, a lot of people um, are recommending to really reduce them and cut them out and see how Mm -hmm. you feel. I think it can be one of these things that affects people differently. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Whether it causes cancer or not, we're not sure. Unknown. Okay. Pesticides. The pesticides that we would find on our fruit and veg and if we don't wash them and then we're consuming them. So first of all, wash your fruit and veg and you're limiting the amount you get anyway. But also the evidence is that the amounts that we would get, even if we didn't wash our fruit and veg um, from the, the stuff that's on our uh, foods that we buy from the supermarket, it's not enough to cause cancer. So pesticides 
can or some pesticides are classed as carcinogens and in agricultural workers who use them all the time they might have a slightly higher risk of developing certain cancers but as general public it's it's not likely. So are you saying then that in order to think about cancer we don't have to eat organic food? You don't have to no if you can't afford it but if you can do because it's better for you for sure. Sure. It's a bit controversial, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is controversial. And I think there's a lot of factors to play. So personally, I don't eat organic food, partly because it is so expensive and I'm feeding six people. But then I live really near, um, like all my food, fruit and vegetables are really locally produced. Like my apples come from 20 minutes and I buy them directly off the producers at our Sunday market. And I've spoken to them about chemicals and, um, you know, it, they're not technically organic, but they don't use you know my apple man was saying that 30 years ago his boss wouldn't eat the skins of the apples because he knew what chemicals were on them whereas now he will eat the the skins of the apples because (laughs) so that's your canary down the mine (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so the last thing we have here is soya products yeah again controversial so some evidence that it prevents cancer some evidence that it might promote cancer not enough evidence either way to suggest what we should do certainly there are Soya products are rich in plant-based estrogens and there are obviously there are certain cancers that are promoted by having high levels of estrogen in your blood. Um, so I, my inclination is again, everything in moderation. Like I wouldn't eat solely soy-based products. Okay. But there's just, the evidence just isn't there. I think as well, I need Straight to, to check, check the reference for this, but I think you have to be careful of your soya-based products and where they have been grown, because I have heard horror stories of how they chop down the rainforest to grow the soya products, which is kind mm-hmm. of ironic, because most people who are eating those soya products are doing so because they want to have a benefit, a beneficial effect on the world. Yes. Um, and not eat the dairy products. So one good way of cutting out your carbon footprint is to to reduce your meat intake, which is great yeah. because it's also really healthy for you. Yes. Okay. I guess, I guess the answer is the best thing to do is grow your own fresh fruit and veg in your back garden. But in this day and age, hardly any of us have time for that. We'd love to, but... yeah. And we don't all live in sunny climates like you. <laughs> it's true. I am super excited. I have ordered seeds and I'm super excited about growing some of my um, own things. Let me just recap this list. So we've got acrylamide. Have I pronounced that right? No, acrylamide. Acrylamide. Artificial acrylamide. sweeteners, green tea, milk and dairy, pesticides, soy products, superfoods and tomatoes are all on the we're not really sure yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So now we're going to get to the bit that I love. Tell me, tell me the the fabulous things. Would you believe it? It's fresh fruit and veg. Hooray, hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Emphasis on fresh, of course. Oh, well, Um, that's interesting. So what about things like frozen and tinned? um, Yes, you're still, particularly frozen, you'll be fine. Tinned, not so much because you're going to have lost quite a lot of the nutrients in that process. Even if you've tinned them yourself? Oh, if you've tinned them yourself, no. Uh, Depends what you've done. If you've cooked them off and boiled all the, leached all the nutrients out of them, then maybe. But uh, depends what you've done. Okay. So the emphasis on fresh, because as you cut and pro- and cook and process your fruits and vegetables, you will lose some of the nutrients into the water. So that you hold up, hold up. As you cut them, there are some evidence that if you you should tear your lettuce and not cut it, partly because you know it does go that kind of blacky brown on the bit where you yeah. cut it, but it also has something to do with the with the nutrients. I've heard this before, but. Again, playing devil's advocate, if I'm eating a lot of lettuce for my lunch and it has been cut up, 
am I not still getting all those great nutrients and thinking, um, yeah. okay, but if I'm you've eating not, a small amount of, I know but, I've yeah. heard this about carrots as well, that when you cut them up, but I'm like, well, if I eat loads of carrots, not loads, but you know, a reasonable portion of carrots and it's, I love um, carrot remoulade. It's amazing. You grate it and um, have a French dressing with it. And it is beautiful. And I could eat, eat that all day. Um, but I presume I'm getting lots of nutrients from it. Yeah, yeah, and also I can't quite see how you would not cut a carrot. You can't; they don't, they don't really lend themselves to being. You can peeled. eat whole. You just peel. Well, if you have, oh, of course, yeah. Like you just um, like a yeah, rabbit. and if you if you've grown them yourself and you're happy that you've got an organic carrot and you don't want to peel the skin off it, then yeah. you can just wash it and even eat the skin. Yeah. Okay. Baby carrots are fabulous. Um, I used to do this in the UK, which anyone can do. Get a a pot and just you know, with some carrot seeds and then pull them out. And if you put them on the windowsill, because I know you can have problems with carrot flies and you put them on the windowsill where the carrot flies can't get to and you get tiny little baby carrots and you just eat them. They're like a mouthful, but they are delicious and amazing and great yeah. for kids as well. Yeah. Okay. So fruit and vegetables, which is fruit great. Full of, of great nutrients, phytonutrients, carotenoids, all these things, antioxidants that are anti-cancer. And linked to that, eating a high fibre diet as well. Okay, so, any advice on where we get that fibre from? Uh, whole grains, whole grains and fresh fruit and vegetables. Fabulous. So basically <laughs> yeah. the Mediterranean style diet. Ba- basically, yes. <laughs> so yeah. this is all to do with pushing your waste through your system at a, a good pace and not letting this sit around in the bowel for long periods of time. So the high fibre diet is linked with lower risks of bowel cancer. And in fact, about a third, I think it is, of all bowel, bowel cancer cases are linked to eating not enough fiber wow, in fact i remember amazing. i remember watching a program many years ago do you remember jamie oliver did this big campaign about school dinners yeah so that's years ago and I, I i'll never forget this one little girl he talked about who went to the doctors with stomach aches and basically she was living on turkey twizzlers and chips and that was it hadn't got any fresh fruit and veg or any fiber in her diet at all and she was vomiting semi-formed feces because she couldn't yeah, yeah i know <laughs> So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's to do with it sitting in your gut and as it does that and your gut bacteria um, or your, the bacteria in your bowel converting things into carcinogens. That is, um, that is sadly not an unusual picture. And um, I love Jamie Oliver bringing this to attention. But, yeah. You know, he was quite shocked working as a pediatric doctor. The number of times I saw children who had tummy ache that was basically um, because they were constipated because yeah. they weren't eating fruit and vegetables. And yeah. I know it's difficult to get kids to eat fruit and vegetables, but a lot of children aren't given the opportunity to say no, if that makes sense. Yeah. But, and I think that's adults as well. And I think one of the things that I love about how everything fits nicely together is that if you eat lots of fruit and vegetables and whole grains, you will naturally stop eating these other things because yeah. you just won't need them. So yeah. that's how it all just ties nicely together. Just start by increasing your fruit and vegetables and naturally you'll cut out on other things that aren't great for you. So have you got anything else you would like to say about cancer? What about people who have been diagnosed with cancer? Yeah, so what I would say is if you have cancer and particularly if you're undergoing um, cancer treatment at the moment, be very, very careful. And I would definitely recommend going to see a registered dietitian or oncology nutritional therapist because they will be able to tell you about any interactions between the drugs that you're being given and the food items that you're eating um 
that's not an area that I'm a specialist in at all. So I'll just well, refer... And also it will depend on what treatment they're having, yeah, and on the drugs, that Absolutely, the individual yeah. drugs. Absolutely. What about, so what about people who have finished treatment and want to make sure that cancer doesn't come back or that they don't get another cancer? So again, I would stick to the high fiber, high fruit, fresh fruit and veg uh, rules, if you like, for that. Um, I think once you've gone through treatment, be kind to yourself. It can take quite a few months for it to come out of your system. And in fact, there are there's evidence to suggest that the platinum-based therapies can stick around in your fat cells for many, many years. Um, but again, I would, if you're at all in any doubt, speak to a trained nutritional therapist or oncology dietitian, and they'll be able to give you some specialist advice um, that's linked with your particular cancer, your particular genetic profile, for example, um, and your particular situation. Okay, fabulous. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here as well. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. A huge thank you to Dr. Vary for coming and talking to us. You can find her at Essential Cancer Education. And she has amazing resources there. And particularly, she has a guide for health professionals to help their cancer patients live well with cancer. And if you sign up, you can um, download that guide. Now, remember, she's coming back for part two next week, which will be about avoiding cancer or reducing your risk of cancer through lifestyle. So look out for that one. See you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina. If you enjoyed it, I would be really grateful if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for the new me challenge. Dig out those I can't do it thoughts and replace them with, wow, this is easy and fun. You can sign up at drlina.com slash new me. That's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new dash in the middle me. Have a lovely week and see you next week. Goodbye.